like, <clears throat> like extreme, extreme preaching. Trying to not break laws to get here. Alright, if you're new with us this morning, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street and St. Matt's. And so I've been doing preaching down at St. Matt's and rushed up here. Um, we're not getting the timings exactly right recently, so it's the, it's the Facebook live stream thing that kills us. Anyway, uh, I'm going to pray, slow down a bit, and then uh, we're going to look at uh, the Bible together. Let me pray. Father God, we just want to praise you for this chance this morning um, to look at this issue of freedom and how your word speaks to it. Uh, give us wisdom, give us clarity, uh, help us to understand what true freedom is, and we pray in Jesus' name. Well, uh, just recently I looked on my friend's Facebook feed and they had this question. Uh, they said, what so far has been the single most liberating experience of your life? What so far has been the single most liberating experience of your life? And so I read through the comments, it was like 150 comments, people just went ballistic with different answers. And so it ranged from uh, kind of like uh, psychotherapy, um, uh, leaving a marriage, leaving a church, uh, moving out of Sydney, turning 40. It was an interesting one. Turning 40 was the most liberating experience ever. Uh, starting a business, uh, embracing bisexuality, immigrating to Australia. So it's quite a diverse uh, list of experiences that people would say, this was my most liberating experience ever. And what struck me was two things. The first thing was the passion in which they spoke in their little Facebook post. Uh, for most people, this moment of liberation was a real turning point in their life. Uh, the second thing that struck me was there was only one thing on the entire one thing on the entire list that was completely contradicted. Um, some people spoke about Christian faith and coming to Christian faith as the most liberating experience. Other people spoke about walking away from Christian faith as the most liberating experience. It was the only thing. The only thing where two people said the opposite thing and both of them claimed to have liberation. And so it can be confusing, can it? Is Christian faith offering real freedom? Does it provide real freedom or not? I think it's a really important answer, question for us to answer. Uh, because in our world today, one of the key things that people want to pursue is freedom. They're not just asking, is the Christian faith true? They want to know, is Christian faith going to give me freedom? Is it going to be repressive or is it going to give me a real sense of liberation? Maybe this morning, you're here this morning, you're asking that very question about Christian faith. Is it going to give me freedom? Well, this morning, I want to take you through some of the Bible's teaching on freedom. Uh, now, when I say the Bible, for some people, they think of the Bible as a bunch of just rules or sayings, because they don't know it very well. It, it's a bunch of rules or sayings. Uh, but if you read the Bible carefully, what you'll notice is that there are rules and sayings, uh, but they're contained in what is one big story from the beginning to end. A, a big story that claims to be the big story of existence, which explains our lives, that big, gives answers to the big questions of our lives. And so as you enter the beginning of this story of the Bible, you see that the concept of freedom comes up very quickly. And the first thing we see in the opening chapters of the Bible is that there is, there is a complexity to freedom. There's a complexity to freedom. Uh, so opening chapter of the Bible, we read about a God. Now, when I say God, lots of people have different pictures in their head of what God is like. 
Uh, for some people, they think of him just an old man in the sky with a big beard, like a pretty lonely bloke hanging around, so he builds the world because he's a bit bored. Uh, the, but the Bible presents God differently to that. Uh, the Bible presents God as not just one lonely God hanging out by himself, but as this complex being that, that we have described from what we see in the Scriptures as, as, as a trinity. Uh, that is, one God comprised of three persons. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, in a relationship of love. And so the God of the Bible is a God that at his very essence is relationship, is love, and it's as a consequence of that he creates us for relationship. And so this God who is community with himself, this one in three God, is this ultimate free being. That is, he has all power and limit, he can do whatever he wants. He has all power in the universe. He can say and do whatever he wants. He is the ultimate free being. And so this ultimate free being creatively chooses to create a world. He creates a world and people to share with them the love that he has within himself, in his very, in his very essence. And so those people are created not to be God, but to actually reflect what this God is like to the rest of the creation. And so I've got, the, got you guys to read it before from Genesis 1. That was the end of the creation account in Genesis 1. So I'm going to read from verse 28. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now I want to do a quick side note here for those people who, who have troubles with Genesis being an explanation for the creation of the world and people. I want you to press pause on that kind of cynicism at that point. And I want you to see Genesis not as exclusively talking about how the world was created, but focusing more on the question of why it was created. Now, right here, we have the reason why it was created. God creates people and he says to these people, enjoy the beautiful world that I've created for you. He says, have babies and fill the earth. God created people, us, to freely enjoy his world. But... As we keep reading, we see that there's going to be a limit to their freedom. There's going to be a limit to their freedom. So Genesis 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God says, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden. It's all yours. Beautiful fruit. But he says, that one tree, don't eat that one tree because that will kill you. Now, our question is, how can it be real freedom when it has a limit? How can it be true, ultimate freedom when it has limits? And it's at this point we hit what is the complexity of freedom. See, when you look at the fish tank, the fish tank on the screen, when you look at the fish tank and you see the two fishes there, which of the fish are free? In one sense, you look at the fish that's out of the tank, that's made his way out of the water, and you can almost see on his lips, yelling, freedom! You know, he's, he's, he's jumping out there. He looks like he's got freedom, doesn't he? But in reality, that fish, what's going to happen to that fish? That fish is going to die. That fish is going to die. He, he might have total freedom in a sense, in one sense, for a moment, but he doesn't have true freedom. 
See, for the fish to maintain the greater freedom of living, of staying alive and enjoying their freedom, he has to give up the lesser freedom of jumping out of the tank. And see, this is the most crucial thing to understand about freedom. Real freedom is determined by what you are. Real freedom is determined by what you are. Fish freedom is only found in water. Fish freedom can't be found flying through the air like a bird, as free as that fish might feel in that moment. Likewise, human freedom is only found within the limitations set by our nature as human beings. And so God says to the humans, you are free to eat from any of these trees, but you cannot eat from that tree because that tree will kill you. Give up the lesser freedom of eating from that tree to enjoy the greater freedom of enjoying all of this. And so that was what was said to the human beings, enjoy the greater freedom. But in chapter 3, we find the corruption of freedom. And so chapter 3, just quickly, Satan, an enemy of God, an angel who declared war against God, all right, he comes to the woman, to the original people, and suggests, he says to her, God is lying about that tree. He's flat out lying to you. In fact, that tree that he said not to touch, uh, not to eat from, that's going to kill you. Sorry, sorry, that's not going to kill you. But, hey, God, but if you eat of it, you'll actually get a chance to not just have human freedom, you'll get a chance to have freedom like God. You'll get a chance to have freedom like God. So listen to what happened, Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now, you might have heard this story before. This this is the fall of man, Genesis 3, uh, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. What happened there? What what went wrong? Now, the problem is not just that they broke a rule. You know, God put this law down, and and they broke that rule, so they get in trouble for that. No, what actually happens in this interaction is these people have decided... We want more than human freedom with its limits. We don't want any boundaries to our freedom. We want to be able to eat from that tree if we want to be able to eat. We want to make the rules. They didn't want human freedom. What they decided in that moment is, we want God-like. We want God's freedom. Freedom without limits. And it was a decision, as you keep reading the Bible story, that doesn't just affect them. This wasn't just this isolated incident in the past. No. As you keep reading the Bible story, you see this incident play out over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible story and then right into our history as well. It was a decision that everyone after them also makes. The Bible suggests that everyone, every one of us, has this instinctive desire and it's mostly unconscious, to be honest, like you're not even aware that you're having it. We have this instinctive desire to pursue God-like freedom, to think that we're God. And, and as we'll see in the original, uh, in the original uh, decision, it has three major consequences that we still experience today. The first one is suffering. Just like the fish that jumps out of the tank in pursuit of freedom and in the end injures themselves because they're going to die, when we pursue God-like freedom, we hurt ourselves, we suffer. We make decisions thinking we have no limits. So we we chase hard for financial freedom 
But then in the end, we have health problems because we just destroy our bodies because we pursue our careers so intensely. But as much as we hurt ourselves, we also hurt other people in this desire for God-like freedom because here's the thing. If I'm running around thinking I have God-like freedom and there's no limit to what I should be able to do and you're running around thinking the same thing, then inevitably our freedoms are going to collide. And if you get in my way and I get in your way, then we're going to have conflict. And if I can't trust you in a relationship that you're not going to use your desire for God-like freedom against me, then all of a sudden I'm trying to defend myself and you're attacking me and it's back and forth and, and then we're battling each other and... And so this pursuit of God-like freedom completely, well, it kind of corrupts the relationships we're in. And so that's the rest of the Bible story. If you read through this Bible story from Genesis 3 onwards, you see relationships break down because of this pursuit of God-like freedom. We hurt ourselves, we hurt each other. Second consequence is separation. When we pursued God-like freedom, that choice to pursue God-like freedom is effectively to say to God, get stuffed, God, I want to be free from you. I want to be free from my relationship with you because really, I want to be God. I want to make the rules. And God cannot just sit there and watch us make that decision over and over again which hurts us and hurts others. He is a good God. He's a loving God. He is a just God who cares about his creation and so he punishes And so in the original story, in Genesis chapter 3, you see what he does. He removes them from his presence. It's a very interesting way that God punishes them because he gives them what they want. They said, stuff you, God. We want to be our own gods and have freedom from you. He says, okay, you can have them. And so he removes them from his presence. And, And so you think to yourself, what's the big deal about that? They're still in the world. They still have the good things that God's given them. Do they really need a relationship with God? Well, here's the thing. God is the source of life. He's the source of goodness. He's the source of blessing. And it's like if you are really, really ill and your body can't sustain its own life and you're connected to a life support system, if you all of a sudden had someone pull off the cords and, and you disconnected you and you walked free, what, you die. And in the same way, when we separate ourselves from God, when we're removed from the presence of God, we die. We physically die. You see, before this happened, this moment where we declared God-like freedom, we were meant to live forever. There was another tree called the tree of life, which we were to eat from where we would live with God forever. There would be no death. But because we made this move of rejecting God to assert ourselves as God, death came into the world, physical death. But physical death is only a picture of the spiritual death we have. We've disconnected from the life of God. We're disconnected in a relationship with God. We've declared ourselves enemies of God, saying, I'm God, get stuffed. Suffering, separation, and thirdly, slavery. Here's the irony of the whole thing. The ironic thing is the very thing the original people seek after, total freedom, actually becomes slavery. I'll explain why. In the same way that a fish is designed for water, okay, and that's where they enjoy their freedom, humanity is designed in such a way we're kind of hardwired in a sense or we're built to relate to a God that is outside of us 
That's how we've been made. We're made to relate to a God that's outside of us, a God that gives us answers on who we are, how to live in his world wisely, how to enjoy the best of life. We're made to get that from a God outside of us, our purpose, our meaning, our identity. And so when we separate ourselves from God by rejecting him, we still have the hard wiring. And so if the hard wiring is still there and we don't have a God to connect it to, instead what we have to do is we have to find God replacements, other things to take the place of God in our lives. And so that thing could be your family, that thing could be your kids, that thing could be your career, that thing could be your sporting success, it could be a relationship. What do we do? We look to those things to give us our meaning, our identity, our purpose, our fulfilment. And here's the thing. They work for a while. They seem to give us meaning for a while, but when we or that thing fails us, we're completely lost. The person who finds their meaning in their career, that's where I get my, that's where I get my meaning, gets retrenched, and all of a sudden, they don't know who they are. They spiral into depression because they lost their meaning in their life. They don't have their job anymore. The person who finds their identity in their kid's success, if my kids are successful, if they're educated well and they have good jobs and they have good families, then I will be happy. I will be fulfilled. All of a sudden, they have a breakdown of relationship with their child and, and they spiral into this place of not knowing what's the, what's the purpose of life. Why am I even living? See, we want God-like freedom. But all we get is slavery to God replacements. Three consequences of choosing God-like freedom. Suffering, separation, and slavery. So what's the solution? How can we enjoy the real freedom that humanity is made for? Well, what you need to do is fast forward from Genesis 3, right through the, halfway through the story of the Bible, and you eventually come to the most unlikely of solutions. A Jewish carpenter named Jesus says this, we read it before in John chapter 8, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's a couple of crazy things that Jesus says here. Jesus says lots of extraordinary things, but two things he says here. He says, so if the son sets you free, and he's talking about himself there, what he's doing there, is he claiming to be God the son become man. He's claiming to be God the Son, become man. Second, he claims to give ultimate freedom. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's claiming to give freedom from the, 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 the slavery that we've been under because, because sin has come into the world since Genesis 3. Well, how does he do that? Well, we're going to fast forward again from this passage to another passage where where it explains what Jesus did. This is in Philippians. It's written after Jesus, a letter about explaining what Jesus did. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, Have your mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
Now, again, you see here, this is a part of the Bible that's claiming that this was God, this, Jesus was God the Son, become man, and that he existed from before the creation of the world with God the Father in this perfect relationship of love. He existed before the creation of the world as this ultimate free being with no limitations. And yet here it's saying that this ultimate free being with no limitations, God the Son, became a human being with limitations. It's like, it's like one of us became a fish. We live, he lived within the limitations of being a human, but more than that, it says he became a servant. He became a slave, but even more, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So not only does he become a slave, but he suffers. The ultimate free being gives up all his power and freedom to come and be crucified on a cross, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be executed by the human beings he created. But more than that, more than just his physical suffering on the cross, it says there, right at the end there, it says, even death on a cross. That's that's significant. Uh, To die on on a cross was a significant way for a Jewish person to die. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree, who, who, who dies on a cross. And so the reality is, is, as Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced God the Father's curse for our sin. That is, he experienced God the Father's punishment for all the ways that we had rejected God, said, get stuff, God, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be God and I'm not going to listen to you. And so Jesus, as he died on the cross, took that upon himself and endured our punishment that we deserved. And in that moment, he was separated from the loving presence of his Father. He was separated from the loving presence of his Father. All the suffering we caused, he chose to be a slave, he chose to suffer, he chose to be separated. And so why did he do it? Well, he did it to set you free. He lost his freedom to give you freedom, that you live, we live a life of real freedom. So how does he do it? Read with me from verse 9 of chapter of Philippians. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so the Gospels doesn't end with Jesus dying on a cross. After three days, he rises from the dead. He appears to multiple people at at multiple times, at at one point up to 500 people at once. And at the end of 40 days, he rises into heaven to be with his father, to take his place as king of the universe. The most beautiful, awe-inspiring person, the one for whom the whole creation centres on. And so God's solution to us pursuing God-like freedom is us knowing Jesus as our king, as the ruler of our lives. How? Well, firstly, knowing Jesus as king separates us from, sorry, frees us from separation. As I said before, Jesus is our substitute. He was on the cross in our place and he was separated for us to free us from the justice that our sin deserved the separation that our sin deserved. 
so that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are reconnected into the life of God again. And that happens firstly, when when you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, that is the third person of the Trinity, comes to live in you, to connect you with the life of God. And then one day at the return of Jesus, you will see God in a new creation face to face. No more separation. So firstly, Jesus frees us from separation. Second, Jesus frees us from suffering. He he frees us from the ultimate suffering of death. Not physical death, because we'll all still physically die, but spiritual death. Because Jesus took the spiritual death for you. You, through trust in Jesus, can be now united to him. Now, at the same time, more than that, one day when he returns, you'll experience complete freedom from suffering in his new creation. But right now, we still have suffering. We know what suffering is about. We still have suffering because we still live in this fallen world. But even now, when we have Jesus as the Lord of our lives, I want to say he can, he can limit the suffering we endure through sin, through doing stupid things and foolish things. So I'll explain to you how. When you understand that Jesus is God, you realise what this, you're not. And when you realise you're not, then you realise it's a bad idea, like a fish jumping out of the tank, you realise when it's a bad idea to jump out of the tank. And so through Jesus and knowing him as the king of your life and knowing his word, you understand the good limits that God has placed on created people. Limits that equip you to give up the lesser freedoms which hurt you to enjoy the greater freedoms. And so as I was reading that Facebook feed from the people who've walked away from Christian faith claiming that was their liberation, you could see that as they spoke about it, what they were saying is, I've walked away from the rules of, of, of this religious, religious practice in Christianity and now I'm living free from the rules, all right, and now I'm truly free. Now, what they don't understand is that these rules that God puts in place are not just arbitrary rules to make our our lives less fun and less free. Here is the designer of the world, the designer of humanity, saying this is how humanity was meant to function best. If you stay within these limits, if you stay within the tank, the beautiful tank that I've made you in the water, you will enjoy your freedom. But if you jump outside the tank, you're going to die, you're going to suffer. And so when we know Jesus is Lord, we realise that we are not Lord and we realise that his word gives us the clear instruction as as to how to enjoy life best, the way it's designed to work. And so Jesus frees us from separation, he frees us from suffering in part and third, Jesus frees us from slavery. When you recognise the beauty of Jesus as Lord, when he becomes the centre of your existence, then the hard wiring, remember the hard wiring I was talking about before? The way you're built to get meaning, fulfilment, identity from things outside of you, all of a sudden it's got a healthy thing, the right thing to put it onto. The hard wiring connects to Jesus, the right object, a person who died for you, a person who will never let you down, who is always faithful, a person who loves you perfectly whether you fail or not. And so Jesus sets you free from living for other things rather than for God. 
So what does it look like? When you get retrenched at work, you don't lose who you are. You don't lose your meaning and fulfilment and purpose in life because those things are found in Jesus and not in your work. You know who you are, so you're set free because of Jesus. When your family dysfunctions and your children start hating you, you don't go into this hopeless, destructive mode because your purpose, your fulfilment is not found in your children's happiness or success or whether they even like you. You are set free knowing your value is found in Jesus. Your meaning is found in him. Your purpose is found in him. You are set free from living for God replacements by knowing Jesus as the Lord and ruler of your life. And so can you see, knowing Jesus is the only thing that enables you to truly enjoy life. It's the only thing that really sets you free. It sets you free from trying to make good things in your life, God things. It sets you free from trying to take the good things in your life and trying to drive out of them things they were never meant to give you. And so let me ask you this morning. Do you want real freedom? Are you looking for real freedom? Are you looking for the freedom you actually created to have, the freedom that actually will maximally enjoy, enable you to enjoy life, the freedom of being who you were as a human being created to be in connection, in sync with the God who made you? Are you sick of living for relationships? Are you sick of living for the fulfilment of, through your kids or through work or through money or through uh, holidays and enjoyment? Are you sick of finding your identity and meaning in those things that never ultimately give it? Friends, the only solution is Jesus. Knowing the beauty of the one who lost his freedom for you that you might be free, living for him. Living for him as the Lord of your life. And so if this morning you lack that, you don't have that freedom, then today is your chance to have it. And you don't have to ask me for it. You just have to ask him. You just need to say, God, I'm sorry for rejecting you and trying to Pursue God-like freedom apart from you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Friends, if that is something you ask God today, then you can know you will be embraced into his family. You will be made his child. He will come to dwell in you through his Holy Spirit. You will be connected with, in sync with the God who created you, you will You'll function the way, in relationship with him, the way you're meant to live. If that's you this morning and you're watching online or you're here in person, then please let us know. You're going to fill out a Connect card at some point during the gathering this morning. Let us know that's something you've said to God. Let us know that's a step you want to make. Let me pray. Father God, we want to praise you. We want to praise you that you love us so much that you didn't just let us run away from you, declare ourselves enemies from you. You didn't just let us walk away, but you came after us. You sent your son into the world 
who gave up his freedom, who became a slave, who actually submitted himself to death for us, giving up total freedom in order to set us free, in order to be set free, to be in relationship with you again, to have our sins forgiven and to not be enslaved by the things of this world. And so, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not experienced that freedom, the freedom of knowing Jesus as their King and as their Saviour, Father, I pray today that your Spirit will be speaking to them right this moment. They would turn, say sorry, and follow Jesus. And we pray in his name.